Hello again, everyone. This is Arthur Staple, your Islanders beat writer from The Athletic. Welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. We've got a very special guest today, uh, someone who can speak to what's going on with the Islanders in 2020 and what happened with them the last time they were in the conference finals in 1993. We've got former Islander, current broadcaster, Ray Ferraro. Ray, welcome to the show. Thanks, Arthur. I hope uh, hope all is well, and um, we're, we're at a funny, funny time that you know, we should be talking about training camp, but, you know, now we're talking about the conference finals. It's just, what an upside down year, man. Yeah. Yeah. We could do a whole show with, uh, talking about keeping kids entertained for six months and schools uh-huh. and all that stuff. But uh, how, how did, uh, how did you guys do? Cammy and I gave ourselves a failing grade after, <laughs> after about three months, we were like, what are we doing? We don't even know what to do anymore. Yeah, mine is incomplete. I, I, I'm just, yeah. uh, I'm just hope they're they're all back this week, and I hope we can last as long as possible. I'm sure you feel the same way. So, a hundred percent. So, um, last night uh, was game one of the conference finals for the Islanders, and it did not go well. Uh, and that is an understatement. It was, uh, it was about as bad as it could have been for the Islanders, and I'm sure you were watching. And in addition to seeing what's going on with this Islander team. In 2020, I'm sure uh, that it brought you back to the conference game, one of the conference finals against the Canadians in 1993. After you're kind of after the the roller coaster ride of of beating Washington and Pittsburgh, uh, you had a similar experience in Game One. Tell us about it. Yeah, uh, Arthur, actually, really similar. And and you know, by the time the third goal went in and it was three one, and they took out Grice, I'm like, man, they they don't have a chance here. Like. They're not quick enough. They have zero pressure on the puck. They're, and then it just kind of hit me, man. These guys are gassed. Mm-hmm. They they have nothing. And so in '93 we beat Pittsburgh in overtime on a Friday night. By the time we got out of the room and got to Montreal, it was probably two thirty or three. Um, guys had to go at noon to an NHL press conference. Uh, at the forum and then we played the next day at noon oh. like we had no chance the canadians had been off for a few days and um you know rested and of course they were at home as the higher seed and uh we lost 4-1 but my recollection was that that game wasn't even close like we we weren't in it i scored late in the game to break the shutout um to make it 4-1 so the game wasn't even close and last night i I mean, I, I looked at an Islander team that had, you know, played a certain way and has played a certain way, and they just had no gas. They just, they couldn't get to the forecheck. They couldn't get to pressure. And a team like Tampa needs extra time, never. And yeah. so they had a little more time, a little more space, and they just picked the Islanders apart last night. But we've seen it a hundred times. I mean, it's one game. You lose 2-1 or 8-2, and it doesn't really matter. And now they got to get rested up and get at it for game two. What uh, in watching this this current Islanders team throughout this these last five weeks or so, um, you know, you've seen the Islanders a lot over the years. Uh, what's kind of the the you know how impressed are you, and and what's kind of been your assessment of of how they've put together this run? Well, I mean, it, like anything, it starts at you know with your leadership and your you know for them uh, for the Islanders, it's Lou and. Um, and, and Barry Trotz. And, um, you know, we, we've seen Lou since the mid nineties. Um, there's, there's one way to be on his team, to play on his team. And that's that the, 
front of the jersey has more accountability and more importance than anything that's on the back, which is your name. And loose teams have always generally been successful when that has been best accomplished. So he hires Barry Trotz, who is able to connect to his players. We saw it in Washington where they had that super talented team and they went through some ups and downs and eventually found the balance between playing for the front of the jersey and still allowing the creativity of the guy to to play, to to use his skills. Um, if you can't, as a coach, get your message to the 20 guys sitting in front of you, you're just a guy sitting in a suit behind the bench. And Barry does an amazing job of connecting to his players and of getting them to play, not just for their team, but for the guy sitting beside them. So when I look at the Islanders, it's almost like they're faceless. They, they all kind of play the same way, except Barzell. Um, they're, you know, they, they push the puck forward into an area. They forecheck. They're aggressive. They're on the puck. They defend in a very selfless manner. Like they're, man, you block shots. You, um, you, you plug up the middle of the ice. You push the puck to the outside. You can give up a bunch of shots, but there's never any second shots. And it seems like shift after shift after shift, they just grind you down into a game you don't want to play. And that's what it looks like to me most of the time. Now, last night, they sprung a couple of leaks and, and then they just weren't able to, you know, to, to get it back onto the way they wanted to play. Last night was their biggest fear of how this series goes. And that's Tampa played the way they want to, not the way that the Islanders want to. You know, we see it thrown around a lot about, uh, you know, they play a boring style or, or um, you know, that sort of, that, like you said, that kind of faceless, uh, nameless, we're all Islanders playing the same way kind of style is, is not uh, appealing to the average hockey fan. Uh, you know, it seems to me, certainly when they're playing their best and Game 7 against the Flyers was probably their best, and it's crazy that two days later they had their worst, but... Um, when they play that way, they do look pretty fast and pretty efficient just because they're all moving together on the ice to kind of get a puck off someone, get back up the ice. Um, is there anybody that you've seen this month that's kind of, you know, like I said, you've seen them plenty over the years that's that's maybe caught your eye a little bit more than they would have uh, in years gone by? Uh, Brock Nelson, for sure. I, uh, You know, Brock is a really good example, I think, of just what you described about the team looking fast when they play fast. I thought Brock was their best player by a mile last night in game one. And I can't believe, well, I can believe because players evolve and grow, but he's not even close to the same player he used to be. And I'm like, he's, he's way more effective, way more efficient, way more dangerous. I, I really like the way that he plays. And then Anthony Beauvillier is, you know, I, he was a lower first round pick, but it seems like year after year he gets has greater impact, more confidence, more um, he's more dynamic. He's more like out of a small space, he makes something happen. Like they've been the two guys for me that have that I think I've noticed more and more and more and appreciate more and more as I watch them play. You know, they're everybody's in the same boat really going into the off season. <clears throat> excuse me, and, and you kind of feel like uh, any team, whether it's the Bruins or even a Tampa, like they're kind of staving off the inevitability of 
what are we going to do this offseason with a flat cap <laughs> and a bunch yeah. of money committed? And the Islanders are no different, and this run is, is incredible, and they could continue on. But they do have a lot of questions to answer, contracts for Barzal, contracts for Ryan Pollock, contract for Devon Taves. They've got some ugly contracts like a lot of teams have. Do you see this as a team that can sustain this beyond this year, or do you see it as a team that's that's uh, you know making a great run in a unique time, but maybe doesn't have the the the, the sustainability for for years beyond this? Well, before I answer, just in specifics to the Islanders, uh, I think that's a question almost anywhere around the league. Like, does anybody have any sustainability? Um, given the way that the you know the world just landed on its ear this year and you know nobody was expecting the cap to be flat for the next three years certainly people expected it to grow into the 84 85 million dollar range this year and then that it would be able to grow uh furthermore um it's you know that's obviously not not going to be so teams have to prioritize uh they there's going to be a lot of guys, I think, put to a decision that they don't want to be. And that's, this is what we've got. Do you want it or not? Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a lot of players, uh, older veteran players in particular, that are going to be pushed into that decision. Okay, I got one year at 800000 Do you want it? If you don't, I'm going on to the next guy. Mm-hmm. And so what, what people might have thought was available is not going to be. Um, I Actually, just before we started taping this, I was – texting back and forth with a general manager and and he he said you know creativity is going to be really important this year he said the biggest problem is i can't make three plus three equal five and and i'm like yeah that's man that everybody's got to shed money but where do you shed it right you can't just make contracts disappear somebody's got to take it and even if they want to give you nothing back they still have to have room to take the contract um, it will open uh, scrutiny and importance on what you have drafted uh, that's not in the NHL. Can these kids come in and give you something? Can they give you, can they help you not lose the momentum that you've built because they're going to play it at a, you know, I'll call it a reduced salary, but at an entry level salary that's going to be maybe not as good a player as you would have as a veteran, but you have to go there because. You need the room. You've got, you know, you can't put three pounds of sand in a two pound bucket. It doesn't fit. Yeah. And, and I, my, I guess my other question, it kind of goes hand in hand with the, just stylistically, you know, everybody plays a similar system. It's just a matter of how you execute it and what you have, you know, obviously watching the game last night, the Islanders don't have really eight goal capabilities in their current lineup and the way that Barry Trotz wants them to play to be successful and the way that they've been successful can you play that style in today's NHL for 82 games or whatever we're going to see in 2021 and then a condensed playoff schedule? Can you can you keep that up year after year? No, you can't. But here's the thing. You coach what you have. Right. When Mike Babcock was in, uh, was in Anaheim and then he went to Detroit, the, the biggest question of Babcock was not that he whether he was a good coach or not because he had just gone to the Stanley Cup final it's like can he if you remember back can he as a defensive coach take this offensive team and still coach it well well when he got to Detroit he had Henrik Zetterberg and Pavel Datsuk and Nick Lidstrom and then Brendan Shanahan showed up 
yeah, you can coach offensively <laughs> if you have the right guys. Like, I'm sure Barry Trotz would like to play a more dynamic style if you have the horses. If you don't, and you try to coach that way, you're going to lose every night. Yeah, it might be, you might lose 5-3, but you lose every night. Mm-hmm. And so they've chosen a roster that fits what, you know, a style of play that fits the roster they have. And again, those young guys, some of them will change what their view going forward of the Islanders will be. Because you'll look at them and say, wow, we've drafted this player. He's pretty dynamic. We're not going to take all the tools out of his toolbox. We drafted him because he could create offense. So that will change their style. Your personnel will change, in a sense, what what you will uh, hope your team can play. We'll get back to our interview with Ray Ferraro in a minute. First, a word from DraftKings. Now is the time to celebrate. That's right. Football's here. To kick off football's 101st season, DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is giving all users a no-brainer to start the season. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you don't want to miss this. Have you ever heard of a football team losing by 100 points? Well, for Week 1, DraftKings is ensuring that even if Kansas City were to lose in historic fashion, you would still cash your bet. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has moved the spread to Kansas City plus 101 points for all users. So even if Kansas City loses by 100 points, you still win big with DraftKings Sportsbook. That's a no-brainer. Plus, DraftKings is giving away up to $100 million in prizes to all users who enter their free football survivor pool. All you have to do is sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook, Enter their survivor pool, and you'll instantly get a share of up to $100 million in giveaways. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code QUICK to take advantage of this no-brainer of an offer. That's promo code QUICK to get in on all of the action for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Their premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology. You can get this trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Toning Spray. Both super practical, and they smell great, too. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. You need to try this all out for yourself. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THEATHLETIC20. Um, we'll shift gears a little bit and look back uh, a little bit more at uh, the last... Islander team that went to the conference final of which you were an integral part back in 1993 and that uh you know wasn't we weren't in a bubble no pandemic not the unique circumstances but it was still rather unexpected um you you still had Bill Torrey and you still had Al Arbor so you obviously had great much like the Islanders have now great front office and great behind the bench yes what was what was it like going into that postseason? What was the expectation? What was the feeling? And how did kind of the emotions go as you went through it? Well, <clears throat> for myself, um, I had missed three months with a broken leg and a dislocated ankle. And I came back with six games left in the regular season. And you can imagine how far I was behind the play. And, you know, like I was going north, the puck was going south. I'd turn around, the puck would go the other way. So there's three games left in the year. And Al calls me into his office and I get into his office literally like two feet. 
and he said, and he called me the seagull and he said, seagull, uh, you got three games to get going and you'll, and if you don't, you'll be sitting with Claire, which was Al's wife. And he said, uh, and she's been in the same seats for 22 damn years. So the, the, clearly the message was get going or I can't use you. Well, I had a couple of good games and then we started the playoffs. And I remember we were so happy to just make it. We qualified on the last weekend. And then we were also happy that New Jersey was had to play Pittsburgh and we didn't have to play Wash and we got to play Washington because we're like, we don't want to play Pittsburgh. Like who wants to play those guys? Right. And as we were going to game one uh, in Washington, <clears throat> the, the Devils Penguins game was ending. And I want to say the Penguins won like eight, three, like it wasn't even close. And we were like, thank God we're not playing those guys. <laughs> And then we, you know, we, we lost the first game and Al had a meeting on the bus, uh, the next day. And he said, are we just happy to be in this? Cause if we are get off the bus, if you think we can win, stay on the bus. I don't care if you practice today or not, but be ready for game two. And we won game two in overtime, game three in overtime, game four in overtime. And then we wrapped it up in game six. Like Al pushed us to believe, um, I think a lot of us played the best hockey we had ever played at that time. Glenn Healy in particular was just brilliant for us. Um, you know, I went on a, a crazy hot stretch and, you know, our, you know, our best line was, you know, our top line was Steve Thomas and Derek King and Pierre Turgeon. And then there was Benny Hogue and myself and flats. And then I'll put this line together of Travis green and Marty McGinnis and Brad Delgarno. And they were playing head to head against the other team's best lines. And like, he gave you responsibility. He pushed you for accountability and, and confidence grew. I, I, you know, I, I think we were the most unlikely team to win two rounds to beat Pittsburgh was if you put those two rosters side by side and you said the team on the left is going to beat the team on the right, <laughs> you would have got laughed at, but, but somehow it happened. Now, in addition to your run, which was, uh, I believe 14 goals in, um, yeah, 13, 13, 13, and, 13, 13 and 18. Uh, and really 13 and 15 because he didn't score in the last four of the, the conference final. Right. Um, and a lot, and I think you figured in, in every overtime winner that you that the Islanders yeah. had. I mean, I don't know if that's good fortune, if that's your your brain goes into a different place in overtime once you get one of those. What what was the feeling like to, especially those back to back games against Washington at the Coliseum, which must have been a madhouse on both of those nights? Uh, it, it, Arthur, I'll tell you, it, they're some of my favorite memories out of you know a really fortunate career. You know, I played eighteen years, and but to to score back to back overtime goals in the Coliseum, the place was it was a madhouse. Like. Sometimes, you know, a lot of times you're just the right guy at the right time. Um, you know, the first one, uh, Hoagie and, and Flats made really strong play on the boards. And I'm just in front of the net and Hoagie hits me with a beautiful pass. And I, you know, I slam it in. The The next one is in double overtime. So somebody else could have scored, right? <laughs> like, like there's plenty of time. It was, you know, into the second overtime, I think 25 minutes into overtime. There had to be lots of chances and, we break out out of the zone and Tommy Fitzgerald throws this rink wide pass to Claude Loisel. 
for the life of me, as I'm talking about it, I don't even know what the hell I was doing on the ice with those guys. <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I didn't play with them regularly. And then, so the pass goes across from Fitzy to Clody and I just go right up the middle, the puck's on my stick and boom, it's in the net. But I, this is what I remember is when I got tackled, Fitzy tackled me and then everybody was on top of me. I felt like the building was shaking. It was so loud. I'm buried under that pile of players and the place was just, it, it felt like it was moving. It was like the coolest thing. <laughs> and then, you know, we go to Washington and we, you know, we lose game five, six, four. And uh, again, just being, you know, your time. I mean, I got all four goals. Like what are the chance, you know, like seriously, come on. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so I get four goals. We go back and we walk, knock wash out. That's the Dale Hunter Turge game. And um, now we got to go into the Pittsburgh series without, without Pierre. And so Benny Hogue moved to center. I mean, he used to be a center in Buffalo, but he'd been a left winger for two years. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of like, I don't know, somehow we got enough. And and then Flats got hurt and Travis Green got hurt. And man, we got into game seven. And I remember looking at the bench and Steve Junker was a kid we who was one of our black aces. And Junks had not played a game all year. And he's playing game seven. And yet we, you know, Heels was unbelievable. I think he made like 42 saves or something. And the best team of the three Penguin teams in a row, the two cup winning teams plus that team, they go home. And, you know, and, and we move on. And it's David Volick who was hurt all year and the owners wanted to trade and Al and Bill told the owners to stuff it. And, um, and all of a sudden, here's David as the hero. And it was, man, it was, it was just awesome. And I'm just looking at the the box scores from from the Penguin series. I mean, I understand it's a different time. It was that very high scoring, high flying early '90s. But you're down three games to two to the best team in the universe, and you win a seven five game six on home ice <laughs> where you took the lead. They they tied it. You're tied going to the third period against a team that's back to back Cup champions. You know it. It, it Islander fans, I think. Um, have been through so much, and you know that better than anybody over these years, having come into the Coliseum or to Brooklyn and and interacted with them. Um, you know, throughout this current playoff run, and I think even into last night, there's this feeling of we're just waiting for the for the other shoe to drop. We're waiting for us to fall off a cliff. <laughs> and, and I'm sure that that feeling in '93, even though the dynasty wasn't too far behind you, was probably there on Long Island. And then you you know you win a wild game and and blow a lead, a two goal lead in the final five minutes of regulation in game seven in their building and still come out and win in overtime. It must've been, you must've just been shaking your head after it was all over. Well, okay. So a couple of things happened as I recall in that, uh, I think Tommy Fitz scored two shorthanded goals in the same penalty in that game, in game five, game six. Um, Stevie Thomas scored late. We had a two on one and actually it was the same play as myself to ball. Like I slid one across and he one timed it in. It was exactly the same play. Um, the game was wild. And I, you know, I know the fans that were watching at that time, they'll remember, you know, Darius Kasparaitis was running around like a, like a madman. And he was into Lemieux's face and into Yager's face. And somebody sent me like a 20 minute highlight video of that <laughs> series. 
and Casper is all over it. <laughs> and so like, we were like, we were like, a, I don't know. It was like, we were almost right to the edge of out of control because we were hanging on by our fingertips, the whole series. Like you kept waiting, like they'd put their power play on the ice and it was five guys that ended up in the hall of fame. Like, what are we even doing in the series? Yet, you know, they, they must have looked at us and gone like, man, these guys just will not go away. They had to have because they were way better. They were way deeper. And so, yeah, there was a feeling like, man, this could go south in a hurry. But when you're playing in it, you don't really have time to think about it. Like you're, everything's happening so fast. And then, you know, you get a day off and then you're into the next game. And again, my, you know, 26 years goes by and, you know, you start forgetting a few details, but I'm almost certain I got this right, Arthur. When we, when we flew back to Pittsburgh for game seven, they didn't have any tickets for us. <laughs> like we were, I remember you, we croup sitting in a middle seat, <laughs> you know, croupy didn't fit in too many middle seats. He's six foot six. Like, you know, it was the most unexpected thing. And they must have been like, oh, man, we could, we could win this thing. We got to get tickets back for these guys. You know, so it was all just by the seat of our pants, I think. And, and yet the one constant I will say is Al just never let us not believe. Like Heels talks about this a lot. Al had a meeting before the series and he said, to, you know, he went around the room and he's like, can you tie a shift? And he picked a player on the other team. And we all said, yeah, of course we can tie a shift. He goes, that's all I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to win one. Can you tie one? And then you're like, yeah, pretty soon you, you tie a round of shifts and you're like, wow, that's the first period. Mm -hmm. And he, so he made us find a way to believe because none of us were stupid enough to think that we were good enough. To, you know, like, I'm not, a you know, like, Pierre Turgeon's our number one center. He's not in the series. So I'm the next guy. I'm not Mario Lemieux or Ron Francis. Like, come on. Like, how am I going to play against those guys? How am I going to beat them? And Al said, don't worry about it. Just tie them. Which was enough of a stretch, to, as I think about <laughs> it, to tie them. Like, how are you going to do that? But it was, it was also, there is a... And this may be a little cosmic-y, but there, there's sometimes it's just your time, right? It's just the, you know, whatever the bigger force is, it's mm -hmm. your time. And for us, it was our time. And, and there is in, you know, I'm sure each player has, can give you an example of something in that series that it was our time. I'll give you this. And this is why I knew looking back, it was our time. I played 1,258 games in the NHL and I think 500 or 50 or 60 or 70 playoff games. I scored one shorthanded goal. It was in game one against Pittsburgh. I was first, first of all, I don't kill penalties, never killed penalties. I, you know, that was not what I was going to do. I'm in the penalty box. Somebody else takes another penalty. Now we've got like 70 seconds of five on three to kill. Like what are the chances they don't score anyway? They don't score. It's at the tail end of the penalty. I come out of the penalty box. They go to pass it back to Larry Murphy and Fitzy, Tommy Fitz dives and tips it with his stick. It bounces over Murphy's stick. 
I come out of the penalty box, I got a breakaway. And I score. That's my only shorthanded goal in almost 1,300 games. <laughs> like Arthur, that's not possible. Except every time you take a penalty, you sit in the penalty box and you go, hey, maybe when I come out, the puck will come and I'll get a breakaway. It never happens. Well, it happened once and and it's in the net. That's great. And now, you know, now that there's been another Islander team that's finally equaled what you guys did 27 years ago, um, you know, I remember you being in the building in 2016 when John Tavares scored to to get the Islanders to the second round awesome. for the first time yeah. since you guys did it. Um, and it, you know, like you said, you've, you've, we're here long enough to, to experience the Islander fans and have seen them over the years. Um, it's such a weird time and it's, it's such a dead, you know, it's a, it's down to like the core dedicated fan base. They're starting to come back now with a new arena coming, but to see them go this far in this weird, no fan situation, the kind of just, do you just sort of say like, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that sounds like the, the Islanders of the last few decades that when thing, even when things go right, sometimes the fans don't get to enjoy it as much as they would otherwise. Oh, it, it's an absolute shame that, you know, that the fans can't be, um, can't be involved here. And there is, I mean, lots of teams have passionate fan bases and their fans are just, you know, they're, they're just, incredibly connected to their team. There is something about the Islander fan base that I learned, of course, being there and then moving away and coming back and how people remember and, and still connect. And, you know, in in my case to that 93 season and the run, um, it just, it doesn't, none of it seems right, Arthur. And I, and I feel badly that they don't get to be at the games that they don't get to, you know, to wait for the team because I know they would. And I don't know. It's just, there's been a few moments in these series, you know, like you, you bring up the 2016 playoff and like that. I, I was on the ice after the game and I grabbed John after they, they did their celebration and uh, we interviewed, uh, I was doing the game for NBC. And so he's standing a foot away from me and I ask him a question and he's answering and I'm just watching him to see when his lips stop moving because I can't hear him. Like I got no idea. He could have been talking about a trade deal or immigration. I don't know. Could have been talking about anything. I got no idea. Can't hear him. And I'm like, man, this is what this place is supposed to be like. This is it. And then, you know, they win game seven against Philadelphia and that's it. Yeah. Right. There's, it's like, it's just, it's not, I know I, I commend the league for doing an amazing job. Um, I, I hate that we can't be as connected to it as we normally would. I don't like that the, that the league really limited the access. I think there's some amazing stories that should be told that can't be because nobody has access. Mm-hmm. The media doesn't have access to the players. And quite frankly, uh, I think the players would be, would be mostly okay with it because what else are they going to do in the bubble? Right. Right. Like there's nothing else to do. And I think the league missed there. And I think people that, you know, like, like the Islander fans, they lose out because of it because they're just, they're thirsting for this. And with the new arena and, you know, uh, you know, the, 
the excitement that will come around that. The trick is you take this piece and, you know, this piece of success and you build upon it. And that, of course, didn't happen in 93. Right. Like in 94, we, you know, we lost to the Rangers uh, in the playoffs and a great line from Jamie McLennan, uh, who was one of our goalies that year. It's, um, so we lost the first two games, six, nothing. And Noodle said if uh, that we, we got swept and he said, yeah, that series was over in three games. <laughs> like we, they they should have just ended it right there. And then of course, you know, it went into a time of where not much was going to happen right there. And it, and so the, the trick is to take this success and grow upon it. And I hope they can. I hope I can't wait to get to the new building. I want to see it. I'll, I like the schematics of it. It, you know, it looks a lot uh, the way the banners are hanging, you know, in the pictures and things that it looks like the Coliseum a little bit. It'll be way bigger, of course, but I'm really, I'm really excited to see it. Yeah. And I think we're all excited to see games with fans and especially Islander fans back in the building because uh, that's what makes this worth doing. So. Well, Rafer. you know what, Arthur, oh, I, will say, I will say this. Let me just say this. One thing is I think um, watching this has made us all appreciate, even though I think in the past it's been a little bit of lip service, but it's all appreciate how much the game needs the fan. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. You know, like how I, I, I think we've all said it. Oh, you know, we, we like the enthusiasm. We like the noise and all that. But I don't think, I know I didn't, uh, didn't realize how critical it was to have the energy, the fan, the passion. You need it or else the sport's not the same. It's true. It's true. It's still it's still special, I think, for a lot of fans around here because it's been so long. But, uh, but to be able to be in the building and hear them shaking the Coliseum one more time would have been, uh, would have been something. So uh, this has been great. As always, a great chat with Ray Ferraro, one of the great Islanders uh, from a great season that's now at least been equaled. Not that they'll knock you out of the record books, but uh, it's nice to have some company, I'm sure. So, Ray Ferraro, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on the show. No, you bet, Arthur. I hope everybody's well in your world. And uh, to Islander fans, it was one game, and you got to get back at it. But, man, this, uh, uh, this is an impressive team to watch, and it's fun to see the Islanders back as the la- in the last four. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you again soon.